podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. In 2017, I watched my guest win a World Cup at the age of 24 with her lyrical run-up and slow left-arm orthodox. Two years later, she was out of a job. Alex Hartley, ex-England cricketer, current Manchester Originals cricketer. We say women's cricket is professional, but what we really mean is that it's professional for a small group, generally a squad and a few others. There are roughly 3,000 men's cricketers who are professional around the world and only 200 women. Even if you are lucky enough to find yourself in one of the countries that looks after its players, if they find someone better, you're off looking for a part-time job to continue chasing your dream. That is where Alex Hartley is now. I want to go back to the start. You started playing senior cricket when you were 14, is that right? Yes, that's when I made my Lancashire women's debut. I know it's more common in women's sport than it is in men's sport, but that's still an incredibly early time to play. You know, at that stage, you must be fantasizing about what it's like to go on and play for England and thinking you're the greatest thing that's ever come along. I mean, to be completely honest with you, it was all a bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting it at all. And I remember fielding down at fine leg and the captain gave me a wave and said, you're going to come on to ball. And my mum ran around to the other side of the pitch just to say, you'll be all right, you know, I'll. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. Like, it all just came a little bit quickly. And I think it's probably best because when you're so young and you don't really know what's going on, there's nothing to really, you know, think about. It makes sense. I suppose at that stage, you're just a kid having a go. Were you thinking back then, I mean, your dream was to play for England, I would assume. Yeah, but back then on the radar, it was never really a thing. I didn't think I could play professional cricket for England. I never really watched cricket myself. It wasn't until... Later on, when I was probably 15 or 16, that I started watching cricket. It was always that I just played it and loved it and didn't even know that England women was a thing. So at that stage, you had no idea that there was a potential for you to end up working in cricket. What age do you start to get to when you think, oh, there might be an actual job in this at one stage? Um, It wasn't until the contracts got announced, really. So that must have been, what, five or six years ago that I knew that it was a thing that you could be a professional cricketer and get paid for it. Up until then, it was always just, a, I'm going to play for England and, I don't know, be a postman on the side or something. And you were 22 when you made your debut? Yes, I was, yeah. I was quite a late bloomer. So eight years of senior cricket by the time you're there, you're almost experienced in a different way than a normal 22-year-old would be. How did you handle getting into the team? Again, it was a complete shock. I honestly wasn't expecting it. I had such a roller coaster of a career. You know, I was in the England Academy at the age of 15 and then dropped again at the age of 17. And I didn't actually get picked up again until I was 21. And that year before I made my debut all just flew by. I remember Mark Robinson telling me in the car park at Loughborough, I'll see you on Monday. And I was like, what's on Monday? I was like, so I've been a netballer. I was like, oh, do you want me to netball at the girls? He's like, no, nah, you're in the squad. I was like, what? Why? How? Like, I had all these emotions that I just didn't know how to deal with. And it was all just a massive shock because it's something I never expected. You talk about being in and out of the squad. I don't want to focus too much on your batting. There's not a lot of runs for me to go through, to be fair, uh, with your international batting. (laughs) (laughs) But to be fair, you are probably one of the world's greatest ever number 11s. Uh, You don't get the credit, I think, that you deserve for that. But you sort of arrived at English cricket right at the time where they were looking for all-rounders and it was all about that sort of stuff. Was there a lot of extra pressure on you because of that? 
I wouldn't necessarily say extra pressure because I always had that knack that my left arm spin was good enough. When I was at the top of my game, I was probably one of the, or if not the best left arm spinner in the world until Sophie Eccleston came along. And batting was never the issue. It was always fielding. My fielding always needed to get better because at the end of the day, if your number 11 is batting in a one-day game or a T20 game, it's not my fault. Hmm. No, that, that's very fair. So for about two years, you play incredible cricket. I think your first two years of ODIs, you averaged, I think, around 21 with a ball and an economy rate of four. Don't want to piss in your pot too much, but that's really, really good. That's an incredible record to have. You must have been thinking at this stage, well, this is great. I've got a long career ahead of me and, uh, you know, please give me the champagne and the roses. Yeah, it was just really strange time. So I knew I was good. I've always known I was good enough to play for England. I've always watched other bowlers and thought I was better than them. And then my time came. I had a shocking debut. But after that, I was really good for about 18, 19 months. And yeah, I was one of the best bowlers in the world. And it was almost like a dream come true. You know, I achieved everything I ever wanted to. I won a home World Cup. The only thing I haven't done is played test cricket. But the second half of my career is just shocking. (laughs) So what happens then? Was it a form thing? Is it a technical thing? Someone told me they thought you changed your run up and your approach slightly. It looked more or less the same to me when I had a look at the old clips. Yeah, I think what happens is when you get into an England side and you do so well, everybody wants to put their 20p in. Somebody wants to change something. Somebody wants to change something else. And my form dipped a little bit. I remember we went to India 2018. I went the whole tour without taking a wicket. And the coaches just left me to it because they knew I was one of the world's best. And they just thought everybody has a little dip in form. She'll be fine. But I remember thinking, I'm not right. Something's not right. I don't know what to do. To be completely honest, I just never got the attention or the coaching that I needed or I wanted. I think when you go from having, you know, the England women's team had three or four different coaches at one stage throughout my career. And when you don't click with them personally or you don't, not necessarily trust them. It's really hard to get your form back. And the coach I wanted to work with, I wasn't necessarily allowed to. So I never really got the form back that I had in 2017. At that point, you talk about winning a World Cup. I think it was an interview in The Cricketer where you talked about the fact that you don't like people bringing up that you've won a World Cup. Have you sort of moved on from that a bit now? No, you know what? Every time it gets mentioned, so I do quite a bit of commentary at the minute, and every time they're like, England World Cup winner Alex Hartley, it just sounds weird to me. You know, obviously I'm extremely proud, but at the same time, it's almost embarrassing because I've won a World Cup and within two years of that World Cup, I'm not in the squad anymore and I'm not a paid professional cricketer anymore. Let's talk about you being a professional. We talked about the contracts about five or six years ago. When are you first made aware that you're going to be a professional cricketer? I'm made aware... 2016, we've just got back from the West Indies. We have a week before we fly out to Sri Lanka. And I find out in that week that I have a one-year contract. How does that change things? Your dream and your hobby overnight turns into your job, which is real strange because I've always played cricket for the love of cricket and because I like the challenge. And then overnight, there's just this added pressure that you're getting paid To do what you want, which is obviously amazing, but then you have to perform and you have to work hard. And the aspects of life that I've always enjoyed, the going out, seeing my friends, they almost become non-existent overnight. I remember in 2016 when you guys lost in World T20, Mark Robinson went really hard on fitness at that stage. That was almost the first sign of, you guys used to be amateurs, it's fine, and you played really hard, you tried really hard. Now you have to go out and become professional athletes for the first time. Yeah, and I remember watching that tour and I remember watching the girls out in India and thinking, he's right, we're not fit enough. 
But then I've never been into fitness. You know, I go out running now to stay skinny so I can eat my Easter egg on the weekend. Like, you know, and that's just how I am. You know, I do things for myself. And once somebody said to me, you're a professional cricketer, you have to go to the gym four times a week. You have to run four times a week. It was a massive shock to the system. Moving forward, obviously, you're probably still in, let's say, the best 25 cricketers in the country. I'm probably higher than that, but you've lost the contract. What happens in women's sport that doesn't happen in men's sport is if you're just outside the elite package of players, you just sort of disappear, don't you? And you go straight back into amateur days, which must be a bit of a shock. Yeah, I mean, so I found out in September that I lost my contract. And luckily, the ECB give you three months full pay, three months half pay from January. So effectively, I got six months full pay and then I'll have three months half pay. So Money-wise, for the first six months is absolutely fine. You know, you can kind of get your head around the fact that you've lost your job. I went into a big state of depression where it was just, it'd been my life for so long. I didn't really know how to deal with it. But then now there's the sudden realization that I'm earning no money. And in a way, I'm kind of one of the lucky ones because we've got these regional contracts that are coming in. They're meant to start in June, but with coronavirus and stuff, we don't know what's really going on with those. So in a sense, I'm one of the lucky ones because I can still play semi-professional cricket and get some money for it but in the past your Rebecca Grundy's your Jodie Dibbles we have to get proper jobs and I'm having to work on the side to pay my mortgage and pay my bills. So you will need another job on top of your domestic contract? Yeah 100% so without going into figures I'm gonna have to work part-time. Luckily for me I really enjoy the commentary side of things and this windows opened up for me to commentate on the hundred and the the women's games and stuff like that but if I didn't have that opportunity, I, yeah, I'd have to get a normal nine-to-five job. I suppose the interesting thing is that you're then trying to get back into the side with people who are fully professional. So you're now having to train like a professional, which you are at a slightly reduced level, but you've also got a part-time job. It's not really a great system, is it? And that's not just a women's cricket thing. You see this right across women's sport, don't you? Yeah, you do. You see it across all women's sports. But the only thing that is a positive that I've got to take from this is it's so much better than it was last year. So if I'd have lost my contract the year before I did, I would have had to get a full-time job because I couldn't have got paid to play cricket anywhere in England, let alone, you know, around the world. So the ECB are putting plans in place. They're trying to catch up with Australia. So they've got these regional contracts. Yes, it's not a full-time wage. Lancashire know that. They've said to me, yep, it's absolutely fine. You can work on the side because we appreciate that you need to. What do you then have to do? I mean, obviously now you're trying to keep fit, mostly by doing TikToks from what I could tell, but you're obviously trying to keep fit and get yourself back in it. Has there been any chat from the ECB or Manchester just trying to keep your head in the game a little bit? No, I haven't heard a single thing from anyone. Obviously, they're trying to sort these contracts out and everyone at the ECB are working really hard for that. And nobody really knows what's going on with cricket. We know that there's zero cricket until the end of May, June. But yeah, we haven't heard a thing. And I think from my point of view, I'm just staying fit now for myself. I haven't picked up a ball, haven't picked up a bat since the last KSL game, which was August. Professionalism as a thing. If we talk about women's sport and how it has to grow, one of the things that has to happen is you can't have the England women's football team or rugby team or hockey team. They can't just have 20 people contracted, can they? It needs to be like the professional men's game. You need 100 people contracted. You need young people. You need experienced players. You don't want a 29-year-old or a 32-year-old coming out of the team and then basically just going and working in the city and losing all that experience. That's kind of what happens in women's sport at the moment, isn't it? It does. And I think if you look at Australia cricket-wise, they've absolutely nailed it. You know, it's taken them five or six years to build what they have. They started effectively where we're starting now but they have over 100 professional cricketers. 
They've got all their domestic stuff. They've got the big bash. Everyone's getting paid for that. And I think other countries now just have to start catching up because equally you're going to have your best 11, which starts every game for England. But underneath that, if people aren't getting paid, you're going to lose a lot of talented cricketers. And you said before, I found this quite interesting, you basically said it went from being your hobby and your passion to being your job. So at that stage, you just want to play for England. Is it now almost a financial thing? Like you've invested a lot of your life now, over 10 years of your life into this sort of job. Is it important that you actually get back to a certain level of cricket from a financial point of view? Or do you just want to get back because you like taking wickets and embarrassing people? I think from my point of view, I've always been extremely lucky that my parents have been able to support me. So as soon as I got the England contract, I was financially independent. So the added pressure of that came. So I was like, okay, well, I can buy my own place. I can move out. And now I'm back in with mum and dad because I'm not getting the money that I was. So it's a real weird thing. But for me, have I got aspirations to play for England again? I do. But equally, if you ask me now, do I want to play tomorrow? I'd say no, because I need to enjoy my cricket again. I need to learn to love the game again and it not be a job, it be a hobby. Did professionalism then almost get in the way of you enjoying the game at times? It does because the added pressure comes, you know, Sophie Eccleston came along and she's the world's best bowler at the age of 20. I will never be as good as Sophie, but equally, I put too much pressure on myself to be better than her when actually we're two completely different bowlers, even though we have the same discipline. England now have two or three other left arm spinners that I know I'm better than, but I just put so much pressure on myself to prove that I was better than them that I'd just mentally gone. When you started when you were 14, if women's cricket was already professional and you were coming through then, do you think you'd be in a completely different headspace now if you lost your England contract? Oh, 100%, because you know that if Joe Root loses his England contract, not that he will, he'll just go and play for Yorkshire for the next 10 years and he'll earn decent money. So Yorkshire will pay his England wage for, I think it's 18 months. So he gets the same money that he was on with England, but with Yorkshire. And then he'll just play there for the next 10 years on 100 grand a year or whatever it'll get. With us, we end up taking a 70% pay cut to play on a Sunday afternoon. And women's sport in general, put it this way, the Premier League is going to come back and maybe some guys who are going to get $120 million offers might get $85 million offers. Or worst case scenario, $40 million offers, right? Women's sport is one of those that is nowhere near that level. Do you worry about if this goes on for 6, 12, 18 months, what happens to women's sport when we come back? Yeah, but I think what you always find with women's sport is we play because we love it. Like, I've got a lot of friends at Lancashire that don't get paid. None of us get paid. And we just play because we enjoy playing cricket. We've all played together for 10 years. I've played with those girls since I was 14 years old. And the same six or seven of us are still turning out now on a Sunday afternoon. And we enjoy it. And from my point of view, the more of us that can get paid, obviously the better because it's only going to improve women's sport. But I think what you find is quite often you can get a male cricketer that happens to be good at cricket who will just play because he's good and he can't be arse training. He doesn't want to go to the gym, but he will because he has to. With us, it's because we want to and we love it. So with that, you think that women's sport will be fine sort of after coronavirus. What about the pathways and the sponsors and the professionalism and all that sort of side? Yeah, the only thing we've got to worry about is if sponsors pull out, if these regional contracts get pushed back any further. Luckily for the ECB, quite a lot of the girls that will get these regional contracts are at university, so it won't really affect them. But yeah, I suppose the thing with women's cricket is it's heavily reliant on sponsors. And if sponsors start pulling out because we're only playing half a series or England don't end up playing India in the summer because India can't travel, let's say, it will have a big effect. But I think in the long run, women's cricket is still building. 
And I think it could have a bigger effect on men's cricket when they don't get anywhere near as much of the income as they thought they would. For you, you said you haven't played since August. There must be an itch inside you. You know, you've played so much cricket over the last 12 or so years. There must be a real itch at this point just to get back out there. Yeah, you know what? In January, I went travelling. They say, you know, lose your job, go and do something you've always wanted to do. So I went travelling and I thought, oh, you know what? I could never play cricket again. And I went to commentate on the T20 World Cup out in Australia. And gosh, I wish I was playing. I was set up there in the commentary box going, oh, I wish I was there. I really miss the dressing room environment. I miss the cricket. And now I've got home. I've really missed training and I just can't wait to go and just train. And it's really weird because I've never had that before. And you talked about the depression. How much of that is just normal everyday life? And how much of that was going into a bit of a funk because you'd lost your job, which is also a fairly normal part of life, I suppose now? All of it was because I lost my job. You know, I've never suffered with mental health issues before. And overnight, my dreams got crushed. You know, I went from being a professional cricketer to being unemployed, basically, and having to think about my future. And I got no support. It's almost like the ECB went, right, you've lost your job and, you know, life carries on. Professional cricket carries on without you, whether you're there or not. So it was really hard to get my head around. And luckily I had, you know, Kate Cross, who's an absolute star and my parents. And it took my mum taking me out for a drink for me to have a mental breakdown on her for her to realise, ah, my daughter's not okay. Some of that a pride thing. You see people when they lose their job, sometimes they just suddenly get to a point where it's just, especially when it's a a sporting job like this, where you would have gone around saying, I'm an England cricketer. And then suddenly England cricketer saying, well, you're not an England cricketer anymore. Yeah, it's a massive hit to the pride. And I think I was pretending I was okay because I didn't want people to think, well, it's a game of cricket, like you'll be okay. And I was like, yeah, I will be okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. When actually like, My whole life had flipped upside down. I had no purpose. The only reason I would get up on a Monday was to go to the gym and then drive down to Loughborough to train all week. And then at the weekends, you know, I'd go to the gym because that's what I had to do. I'd go and see my friends. And Monday to Friday, I just wasn't getting out of bed because I had nothing to get out of bed for. And how did you eventually get past that? Mark Robinson, the ex-England head coach, was really helpful. He said to me, go and join a gym because it's the only thing that'll get you out of bed. Just it helps me he's in a similar situation he lost his job as well so he was probably three months ahead of me so he said go and join a gym it'll really help and that kind of gave me a little bit of purpose so I was getting up in the morning to go to the gym and then one afternoon I'd been sat around from like 12 till 5 every day going oh, this, I can't do with this anymore I just booked to go traveling so after Christmas I just went and what about the podcast? So if I remember correctly you started about what five six months ago with the podcast? <laughs> yeah we did I think Crossy thought We need to get Alex a little bit more purpose in life. So she, we had one or two people, I don't know whether they were joking or whether they weren't, saying, why don't you two start a podcast? And she just said, shall we do it? And we thought, is anyone going to listen? If not, it'll just be a good catch up for me and Crossy once a week. And yeah, we've absolutely loved it and we're still doing it now. And you've got, I think the last tweet I saw was, is it Keaton Jennings is coming on? So you're in the big leagues now. Yeah, I know. We had Glenn Maxwell on last week. We've got Keaton Jennings on this week. So I don't know where we're going to go from here, to be honest with you. <laughs> at this stage, you seem like a fairly creative person having a look at, I keep mentioning the TikToks because they're mental and you keep doing them, but you seem like someone who needs something in their life at all times. And are you maybe slowly replacing cricket with all these other different parts now? I think what I've realised is cricket isn't life. There is a life beyond cricket. And for so long, cricket was my life. Cricket was the purpose was the only reason I got out of bed, you know, cricket was my purpose. And now 
I realised that there's a much more to life and cricket's a hobby and cricket's something that I love. So I think now if I ever got picked for England again, I've got a much better outlook on life. I mean, you see that a lot, especially with after the first time players are dropped. It's like, because you don't, you guys, I know you know how to lose, but you don't know how to be dropped or to be shelved. And then you have to go off and you discover a normal life and then you're actually more ready to come back. Yeah, it's really bizarre. And I think me and my mum have spoken about it quite a lot. And maybe me playing cricket was just a stepping stone to something else in life. You know, if I end up commentating for the rest of my career, then so be it. If I end up getting back in the England team, then being dropped was probably the best thing that could ever happen to me. So there's just different ways that you can look at it. If I'd have not gone traveling and not gone out and about, I probably would have gone, no, I'm never going to play cricket again. But now I've got the itch and, you know, I've seen the England girls play that I want to get back out there, whether it be for England or for Lancashire and just see what happens. I think it's really good that you've got the itch back. I mean, at the worst possible time, but it's good (laughs) that you want to play cricket again. Thank you very much for joining me. No problem, anytime. Thanks for listening. You can follow my guest at AlexHartley93 on Twitter. You can also find her on TikTok if that's your bag. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Tell people out on the street, uh, if you can, from two metres away, obviously. Forward it to your mum on WhatsApp. And uh, just make sure that you wash your hands a lot, I suppose, while you're reviewing or in between reviews. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us on Patreon. You can find the links below. Thank you to all of those people. And Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCarriston does many things that no one understands. And the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets. <laughs> <laughs>